Welcome to The Rising, a podcast amplifying the voice of our nurses. I'm Derek Bell, the Director of Wellbeing and Joy of Practice for the Ascension Nursing Center of Excellence. At the COE, we aim to create a community connected by our experiences and shared vision to make Ascension the best place to practice. We envision a culture of caring, sharing, and connecting. And this podcast aims to connect us through our voices. Come on up to the rising. Daniel, welcome to the rising. I am absolutely excited to have this time for us to talk about not only nursing, but our ideas about well-being, work-life integration, and, and some of the experiences that have really formed you into who you are. Now, I do want to introduce you to everyone because you are a baby-delivering, penguin-collecting, dog-loving, soccer and softball playing, purple-haired, Fortnite queen, hailing from Michigan, and you work at the Ascension Borges Kalamazoo Hospital, and you're also a happy wife, mother, grandmother, daughter, sister, aunt, and friend. But most importantly, you're a big personality, and you love your life and the people that you're surrounded by. I think that is the best way to start here. So I wanted to say, first of all, thank you for joining me on this podcast and I look forward to spending some time with you. But to get started, I wanted to ask you, how did you land in nursing? Well, first, let me say thank you for the invite to this. I'm super excited to be here and, and share this time and space with you. Um, for me, nursing was uh, one of those things when I was nine, I brought home a picture from fourth grade that um, showed me what I wanted to be. And it was, I drew myself holding a baby with a little nurse hat on. And I think that stems from when I was eight, um, my mom was pregnant with my little brother and it's just him and I. And so I got to be very involved. I was an only child for eight years. So all of the Malaz classes, her prenatal appointments, like all of that stuff I got to be very involved with. And when he was born, um, they brought me down to the delivery room immediately upon his arrival. Like he was still on my mom's like, chest. And, um, and this was, I mean, he's 37. This was a day or two ago. There was no ultrasound to tell you what you're having. And so we were all just anticipating what this baby, you know, girl, boy, what was going on. And they gowned me with the hat, the booties, the mask, all the things and took my eight-year-old little self into this room. And my mom lifted up that blanket so I could see him and all of his glory and knew I had a brother which I promptly went to the door, screamed down the hall to all of my grandparents, and then climbed up on a stool and they gave him to me. And that right there is when I knew, like, this was the coolest thing in the whole wide world and I want to be a part of this. I was eight. I didn't know what that meant at that time, but I knew that's where I wanted to go with it. Um, My mom actually brought me that picture not too long ago that I had drawn. It's been within the last couple of years. She found that in her basement from fourth grade and brought it to me. So I have that picture Obviously, tucked somewhere now in my basement because isn't that what we do with stuff like that? <laughs> but I do have it. Tuck it away. But that is so that is so amazing. Yeah, that that experience is what you've stayed true to throughout probably 
a nonlinear pathway to where you are today. But I wanted to I wanted to get to really for you, a chance for you to share with me how do you connect? So knowing that at nine you were ready to be the nurse you are today, but so how do you connect your work and your practice? Like how does that work for you and your thought process, and how do you stay connected to that? So for the connection to my, like my my work or the practice of nursing, which I've been a nurse now for almost 19 years, um, and I took the hard way to get there. I mean, I was I, I was pregnant for my own first baby when I was 17, and by the time I was 23, I had my three kiddos, and so there was a little bit of this weird like figuring out how to be a mom and figuring out how to kind of grow along with my children, but yet then. Also staying true to myself and having that um, that opportunity because I I know that I had that um, amazing opportunity. I mean, my parents were like, "When you decide to go back to school, like we've got you, we can do this," and that's not lost on me that they they believed in me, but they spent that time and in, in money making sure that I was able to get the education I needed to do this career. Um, and for me, like that being a teenage mom has played a huge part of working in labor and delivery. Um, I see people having babies all the time that are young and we kind of dismiss them. And for me, I knew like my own kids, I was super well educated about my pregnancy, about the birth process, about the things going on. I knew what, what my labs should be and shouldn't be as an 18 year old. Um, my o- oldest daughter spent 10 days in the nursery. I was involved in that care. I was in that nursery every chance I got. I was I was asking the questions. I was doing her care. I, I nursed all, I breastfed all of my babies for months and months and months. Um, and there was also like this weird, like, I always felt like I had to hold that. Like I had to make sure all, all of my kids were super well taken care of. Everything was going great, everything, because people were watching me because I was a young mom. And that's helped me with the young moms that I see to be able to connect with them, but have that openness with them but also trust them and believe in them. And I know over the years I went from being one of the youngest nurses on the unit to now not one of the youngest nurses on the unit. But um, I also sit in a space where watching my own daughters have babies and being able to relate very much to where they're at and their independence and, and empowering them to make decisions. And that's all evolved over the years as I've gotten more comfortable being being myself, but being a nurse that has that experience behind me to back up what I'm, what I'm seeing and what I'm believing in. Um, we sit in a really strong space of like evidence-based practice with a lot of the things we do. That's for a reason. I mean, it's evidence-based, you know, like there's lots of research that goes into the art of nursing. Um, and I think just helping grow and evolve with that as we go through the years. And sometimes that's hard to do because we don't like change, but other times, like when we get through that little rough spot of it, we realize like those, those evolutions in our practice make all the difference sometimes in the world to those patients we care for. Yeah. Well, I, I think you get at really something that is a core part of what makes us love what we do. And sometimes we forget about that. It's, Sometimes we forget the simplest things because we tend to get very academic about our work. And, and for a lot of us, our work can sometimes float through different phases of our life and through our experiences. And, and you're tied deeply to your experience. And so, you, you know, and sometimes for us, that becomes our, our work becomes 
that where we talk about the job versus vocation, we talk about it being our calling. We're connected by those experiences and, and we want to spend our lives giving that back because of what we experienced. And we want to contribute to the field, care for others and connect with teammates. And that also helps us define and, and drive our purpose. But we also work with people that don't necessarily feel that same way about it too. And yet have the same love for what they're doing, but it, it, it's different. And it's maybe because that they haven't, they haven't, dug into the craft yet, or they may be new to the craft and they really love it, but it's still, um, an aspect of work for them. And we want to help them enhance those values too, and help them see that the connection that they're able to make with people is absolutely a rich and amazing experience. And that is, that's challenging because that is where we find our, our happiness and our connection to our work and our satisfaction with our work is often tied to those experiences and the way that we feel about what we're doing and how, and how challenging that is. And, and for you, I, I mean, I want, I want you to talk about the challenge of what it feels like in, in today's environment and, and the type of things that are um, not necessarily new to environment the environment in and of itself, but I mean, it's been exacerbated or it's been, um, and enhance some of uh, some of the experiences, and, and I want you to I want you to talk a bit about that about what it's like to be a nurse today. So, I think being a nurse today, I mean, obviously the last year and a half has kind of been a challenge and a change for all of us. I mean, one of the things that I've always like kind of prided myself on is that connection to patients and that connection to people, not just patients, but even my coworkers, you know, they always say six degrees of separation. And I always like to say, I can do it in two because I can usually find that common denominator with anybody I'm talking to of somebody we know, someplace we've both been to that nobody else has heard of. You know, there's always something that we collect penguins that anything I can find that common denominator super quick that's been really hard in COVID because we are masked up, we are gowned up, we are we are all of that th those things, and for a while we weren't even able to physically, with our skin, touch patients. And I don't know that that's that's changed the game a little bit, um, just with that connection and trying to keep those things flowing and have patients feel feel that, but also feel safe and have us feel safe. But yet that connection, um, it's this weird two-way street that we're, you know, we've kind of danced down and I feel like we're, we're figuring COVID out and we're figuring out what our, our new sense of, of normal. Cause that's what we hear people say, but what we did a year and a half ago before the start of COVID is not something I don't think that in nursing, we're going to go back to. I think we're going to keep evolving here. We're going to keep figuring out through this whole pandemic um, what nursing is going to be. And we're going to have to keep pushing forward. And we're going to have to keep molding that a little bit and, and kind of toying with how does this work the best and what's the best model? Um, you know, it, where, where are we looking? Are we going to team nurse? Which means are we going to have this whole, you know, RN, LPN, PCA, a respiratory therapist available, a physician available where we're team nursing these groups of patients? Are we going to, you know, end up doing some very like heavy nursing, but with that support of 
extra therapies and PCA work and that type of thing. Like this is going to change our practice and we've got to be a little bit ready for that. We've got to lean into that, but I think we're also going to have to navigate that together and figure out how this works and what works the best. Yeah. I I love that. Uh, What I love about thinking, you know, and, and starting to think about the evolution of the practice is that so many of our evidence-based practices and our best practices that we'd like to follow were created in an environment that doesn't exist anymore. So we're yeah. recreating best practices as we go along. Yeah. And that, that, is, that change is helping us evolve and, and create those new best practices. And it's like, you know, we look at something like even reframing some things that are you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say they kind of challenge some of our precepts about where we, we thought we were, you know, and, and I, I love thinking about nuance and about how this has allowed us to really try to dig into the nuance of something and that sometimes, you know, doubt we've thought about is like lacking in confidence. And, and I, I think that isn't true. I, I, what I love about like not knowing exactly where we're going and asking questions is, is allows us to, open up the opportunity to talk about the complexity of where we are today and not just assume that something we used to do is going to work and to be open to the changing and evolving nature of practice and, and not stick to convictions that were true years ago, because those don't, those no longer have a place in in a lot of ways. And so sometimes that, we have to share that doubt and ask questions and work together. Like you talked about in in this new collective environment where we're really practicing and changing the field together. And a lot of that is also reframing some of the things that we've seen through COVID like grief. Mm -hmm. And, And we talked a little bit about this, about if we maybe think about grief as, as unexpressed love, love of the people we're serving, love of our craft, love of ourselves and the best part of ourselves and holding on to that. And that's a way of staying close to the people that we've lost. And the events that make our blood boil reveal what matters most to us. And in that anger, it, it really rises when our core values are in jeopardy. And, but with reflection, it becomes a mirror for seeing that our principles more, are more clear. And in action, it becomes a map to change what we hold dear. And so as we're grieving, we go into a, a sadness and that's, that's a place we want to sit. But as we reframe that, that's the love that we have for everything that we're trying to do and the right. people that we've, we've lost and the people that we're caring for. So Derek, if we give people the space to grieve and we allow them that space and we allow them, because if, if we are completely honest about COVID, it has been really rough. It has been rough to watch patients. It's been rough to watch our own families. It's been really rough in this weird space of, we had this idea of how our lives were going to go and how things for our children were going to go or our grandchildren or even our parents. And it's thrown this weird wrench into it. And even our, think about your nursing career. I'm going to do this and it's going to be great and all this stuff. And like, well, hey, here's a little pandemic for you. Good luck. Let's see how this plays out. We all have to grieve that thought process we had before. We can visit there but we can't live there. And so many people get wrapped up in that grief that they can't, they're finding those weird spaces of not being able to dig out of it. And they're sitting in that. And as healthcare providers, we struggle to ask for help. We struggle to 
take care of ourselves. We'll take care of everybody else all day, every day. But when it comes to taking care of ourselves, we sit in this like, "Mm, I don't know, do I really need to do that? Or, oh, I just don't feel like it. Or I'm too tired or I'm too, I mean, insert whatever you want here because it could be anything that, you know, we make excuses for why we don't do the things that we love or that we should be or that help us be better mentally, physically, spiritually. So, yeah. And honestly, you talk about the events that make your blood boil being what matter most to you. And that hits so hard for me because I know those conversations, those really hard conversations that happen when there's this event and you can feel yourself just like that blood pressure's ticking up. You can feel it notching up. You know, it's not going to be good in a minute. If I really stop and think about those are those things that I hold so dear to me that I feel like are being trampled on or not listened to or not given the respect that it deserves or any of that stuff. And that that right there for me was huge when like you're saying that and I'm hearing that, um, evidence-based practice, where are we headed with that? Let's be real on that. What we've known, you, you, you totally nailed. We knew this was evidence-based practice out of this setting. Our settings are completely different. The beautiful thing about this right now that, and, and I'm now in a position where I'm in leadership. So I am doing the, um, the hiring and the interviewing and, and the talking to the, these nurses that are just coming out of nursing school. These ones coming out of nursing school right now, guess what they've known through all of their clinicals? COVID. This is what they know. This is their normal. They, got, they didn't get to do some of their clinicals because of this, or they were doing simulations and now they're back in the hospitals. And so that first group, a little bit of that, struggle to talk to patients because they missed some of that. But now our nursing students are coming through the doors and they're here doing clinicals and all they've known is COVID. So as they start coming out of school and joining our workforce, they're the ones that are going to help us rebuild. They're the ones that are going to give us the opportunity to sit in the new normal, quote unquote, because for some of us that have been nurses for a long time, it's really uncomfortable. Because it's so different. But when you have enough people around you that this is this is what they know and this is how they've always seen it, then I think that other's gonna start to fade a little bit and we're gonna be able to keep moving forward. Yeah, and it it helps. I, I love that you talk about a new new ways of thinking. And and it's kind of like if you take a word like resilience, it's it's become an exhausting word to hear. But if we just change that to adaptability and agility. Mm-hmm. And we look at it because we all, I mean, it's, it's a word that it, it challenges us because we've been going through this for a while. Like resilience is table stakes for just being who we are, yeah. but understanding that what we need are the skills to be adaptable and, and agile. And for those that are coming through their education during this time and practicing and learning how to practice, they're practicing in an environment where resilience is, is absolutely part of it and it's adaptability and agility and, and rethinking too about our, our notions about self-care and well-being. And so I, I know we were joking about how, when I ask you to say, when I ask, when I ask you about <laughs> wellness, like what comes to mind? And uh, I answered sheer panic. Yeah. <laughs> You're asking oh. a nurse about wellness. I'm like I can tell you all day what you need to do to be well. Uh-huh. When you ask about my own wellness, 
no, I'm going to panic for a quick second. But then when I like take that deep breath and I think of the things like that I actually do versus what I think I should do, it, I can sort it out and I can see it. You know, wellness to me, I'm like, oh gosh, a healthy diet and a routine workout plan and eight hours of sleep per night and so much water per day and all of those things. And then when I actually take that deep breath, I'm like, I drink, I drink enough water a day. I, you know, I know I get that in. I do things that bring me joy, but that may not be the, you know, five, you know, 30 minute workouts a week. No, I play soccer two nights a week. I play softball a couple of nights a week. Sometimes I play volleyball. Sometimes I bowl. I do stuff like that. That's very, that's been ingrained in me. I mean, I, I've been a team sports kind of person from a, a young, young age on, and that's just part of who I am and what makes me who I am. But those team sports are also what have kind of helped mold and shape me throughout all the years. So when I think about wellness, I do those things because they bring me joy. They settle my brain and give me like that little endorphin release, but also a little chance to like soccer is not my first sport. I was a softball player. So I at 32 decided I'm going to play soccer because who doesn't do that? And I joined a 30 and up women's team. The first game I played in was the first soccer game I had ever been to. My kids didn't even play soccer. I knew you couldn't touch the ball. That's basically where I started. I just played co-ed on Monday night on a 40 and up co-ed league. I was the only female there, so I had to play the whole game. And I scored two goals. Yeah. I was like, woo, woo, hey. So for me, that's, that's cool. That's that's something that makes me happy, but because I have to think about it, I can't be thinking about all my work stuff. I can't be thinking about all the weird stressors because I have to pay attention or I'm going to take a soccer ball upside the face because it's not my first sport. <laughs> so, um, but I love, I love that camaraderie. I love that type of thing that the team sports give me. Um, I also have, I, I, y'all, I am 220 pounds of, I, I am not the super athletically looking person. Can I play sports? Yes. Am I athletically inclined? Yes. I have put this body through, I think, seven half marathons, two of those being back-to-backs. God love having a teenage son who's like, mom, we can do this. Half marathon on Saturday, half marathon on Sunday in another town. Who doesn't do that? So even though this is a 220-pound body, I'm amazed at the things that I can do in this body. And I know that, and I'm aware of that. And I'm very grateful for that. Do I have to work a little harder than I did when I was younger and way more in shape? Yeah, sure do. But I still enjoy those things and they still make me happy. And when everything's hurting a little bit, I hike with my dogs. Sometimes being out in the woods and being away from all the noise and commotion and smelling things from the earth actually settle my brain too. So I think it's knowing those things, those things that bring you joy, those things that make you happy, those things that clear out that those thoughts in your head and allow you to just be present in the moment. I, I love, and, and you hit on it perfectly that when we talk about well-being and, and our own wellness is, is often <clears throat> we, we like to be academic about it. Like you, you know, you start with oh my gosh, am I exercising? Am I doing the, the required? Am I drinking enough? Am I getting enough protein? Am I getting enough fiber? And at the end of the day, we're exhausted from even thinking about it. But what you're talking about really are micro moments. 
And, and I'm, and those are like getting again in, in the nuance and in between the lines of what we're talking about is where we feel and what you're talking about are the things that make you feel good. And they allow you time and space and, and in your own way, you're giving yourself grace to enjoy this. You're giving yourself permission to enjoy something for you. And that's yeah. really when we start talking about well-being and the value and the opportunity in there. What we should be amplifying is, isn't a restrictive method of doing something. But again, we learn from what we love to do. And that really is what brings us joy. And, and oftentimes it's reflective of who we've been our whole lives too. It's, it's our core values. Like these are connecting to our core values. And I, you and I joke about what, what would your nine-year-old self be proud of you for today? And a lot of that is about our well-being and, and whether that's our job choice or lifestyle. But what is it about that we're, you know, we're doing and we stayed true to that really makes us happy? It would often be something that at nine would have made us just as happy as well, too. And so yeah. it, I think that that's something that it can easily get lost and smothered by life. But what we need to be doing is promoting our our moments and our micro moments of joy, because that's what gets us through everything. If we oh, have those, they can get us through everything. Yes. And there's times joy and wellness for me, honestly, is doing absolutely nothing or having an adult beverage and playing video games online with my friends. I mean, it's, it is not having my body in motion and eating really good foods and drinking all the water. Sometimes it's those little moments too, that honestly I laugh and I have those it, it, like laughter is a huge key to, I think some of our wellness too. And when we stop laughing and when we are finding that, that time to have space with our, our people, whoever our people are, to have that camaraderie with them and to have some of those like moments where you can joke and laugh and, and actually be present with other people, man, that's rough. That's, and I think that was a little bit of what COVID like when everybody was separated and we were in our own homes and we were just around the same people. Like I love my wife, but there was a few times I was like, I need to see other faces and I need to talk to other humans. And like, I I need you to go to another room for a minute or something. Cause yeah, just the same thing every single day. And it felt very isolating. So, you know, I I think now for all of us, it's, we've cared for a lot of other people for a lot of months now, and we've got to make sure we're caring for ourselves. Yeah. And, and that's, that is where I want to go into our kind of our last little question here about what it is that we need to do to look forward and what, what have we learned and what can we apply to help us build better self-care, self-love, self-compassion, give ourselves permission, those practices of what, when we're talking about well-being, I mean, that's really what we're talking about. How can we build those better in, in our nurses? So I think sometimes giving our nurses permission and, and also keeping it simple Raising kids, I used to always tell them when they, like, would they get down on something and they'd have that moment and I was like, play the glad game. And they'd look at me and I'm like, right now, three things you're glad for. And, and like, put the pressure on, snapping fingers, let's go, tell me three things right now you're glad for. And when they'd have to, like, panic and think about three things that immediately, right there in that moment, they were happy for, it was just enough of a trigger to flip their brain a little bit. 
And sometimes for me, I have to do it to myself. And sometimes it's, I had a really good cup of coffee today. I mean, this isn't like earth moving, life shattering. This is really sometimes that simple. Or I have a really good pen. This pen writes amazing. It is sometimes that simple, but I think for nurses and, and, and healthcare providers, like we've got to, we've got to own a little bit of our journey with that. We've got to take a little bit of that back. We also have to give each other that little bit of permission. Like, I need you to go take care of yourself. I need you not to pick up that fifth or sixth shift this week. I need you to do something that you love doing that is not related to that part of your life, which is working in healthcare. Um, and sometimes those lines are really blurry and, and it's really hard to see through. Um, but think about like your inner nine-year-old. A lot, of, a lot of nine-year-olds have dreams about their lives and they, they have this like thought process of when I grow up, I'm going to be X, Y, Z, or I'm going to do A, B, C. Like they, they have this thought process that is very simplistic, that is very direct, and it's about the things that make them happy. Like in my world, when I grew up, I was, I was still going to climb trees all the time. Okay, let's circle back to not a small human. I still climb trees every now and then, just for fun, just because I like it. I am deathly afraid of heights, but I can climb a tree and not have that fear. If I am standing out in the open, up on the ledge of a big old rock in the mountains, I will have a full-on panic attack. I am not sure if I'm going to pee myself, cry, or throw up. I might do all three, but I can climb a tree and I'm good to go. And I don't know, like, I think a little of that is the joy it brings me. A little of that is that inner nine-year-old, like, yeah, we got this. Yeah. I mean, that's your, my nine-year-old self would be very disappointed that I never made it to be a professional soccer player. But my nine-year-old self would also be proud of me that I teach people how to play and build confidence. And I create the moment for them to do what they love to do. And, and, and that bleeds over into my work and my career in wellness is that is really what it is about. And it's about taking those, creating those, um, like James Clare in Atomic Habits talks about when you, when you're really practicing your well being, or when you're really getting into yourself and really doing things for you, what you're doing is you're, you're making small little votes for yourself. And so your three points are all votes yes. for yourself. And if you do that and you continue to do that, you will build habits that are tied to your core values that matter greatly to you. You'll likely stick to them. And that's a difference between doing like a fad diet versus just living healthfully and happily. And so that's sometimes we get, you know, we, we think about our well-being, we can get consumed by it. And then we just avoid doing it because we think it's something other than just making ourselves happy. And it's it feels really, overwhelming. Yeah, yes. And, and when, it get, when it comes down to it, it's really a set of what I like to think are like four actions, four, four series of actions. And one series involves our creativity. And we love to solve problems. We love thinking about things. We love doing things. We love art, music, hobbies, sports. We also love to contribute to the greater good, helping others. We, we want to give back and we want to be um, part of something bigger than ourselves. That's just part of being human is to be in that space where we're feeling like we're giving something back. And then it, it's about connecting, building teams, circles, support systems, and with our families and our friends and our coworkers, we love to be supported and we love giving support and we want to share that experience. And then the last is, is caring and not just for others, but for ourselves. And that's the hard part, but it's something that we must be better at. And I think that that's, 
that is something that as we talk about what really brings us joy, it's something that we don't need to distance ourselves from, but bring it closer to us and make sure it's tied to who we really are and take those votes for ourselves. And I think that if we can just do that, we may get somewhere. I love that. I feel like I need to make think like middle school student council. (laughs) I need like a sign in my office that says vote "Vote for for Danielle. Danielle. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm making one. We're doing arts and crafts tonight at home. (laughs) Beautiful. That's a great holiday exercise. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you so much for being here and and sharing some ideas. And I'd love to continue to talk to you more about, about a lot of these things. And I just think that what brings us joy in living the life that we want to live will help us inspire not only ourselves, but others. And that is really where we start to share that connectivity among each other. And that's what I want these kinds of conversations to do is to, is to help us show that we can be vulnerable and we can share and we can care. And that is just part of who we are. And if we do it together, then we tend to get through things better and we learn and we grow. So I want to say thank you for joining me today. No, thank you so much for having me. I, I love opportunities like this and I love, I love having to think about some of this and really sit in that. So this, this gave me that opportunity to, to really think this through and to say like, am I, am I doing the things that I say and I am and, and that made me feel better about where I'm at and how I'm doing it. And if this gives anybody a little ray of sunshine or a little like extra light to their own life, then even better. I, I hope so. It did, it did me, but just talking to you brings a ray of sunshine too. So that, that always, it always puts me in a better place. So I wanted to, I also wanted to take a second. I know often here at Ascension, we start with reflections, but I want to end with one and share it with you. It, it was a poem that helped me through COVID. It was like a warm blanket. And it reminded me that everything that I want is really beyond me. And I need to be okay with that. I need to look at that as my, as an opportunity And that to take those steps forward one day at a time, just one step forward one day at a time will help, you know, I, I, it'll help, it helped me discover what I like to think are the better parts of myself. But I think that's the point is that we can look down the path and what we can't see, it's okay. And we just continue to look forward and we move forward. And, And so this poem, I think really speaks to that. So I wanted to share it with you as we wrap up here today. It's called Just Beyond Yourself by David White. Listen, just beyond yourself. It's where you need to be. Half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. There is a road always beckoning. When you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon, and deep in the foundations of your own heart at exactly the same time. That's how you know it's the road you have to follow. That's how you know it's where you have to go. That's how you know you have to go. That's how you know just beyond yourself, it's where you need to be. Thank you again. Love it. Thank you. 
and we'll talk hopefully again soon. Yes, I would love to.